0: Everyone, Welcome to the conversation here on the Young Turks. I'm your sometimes host Francesca Fiorentini, what is up? It is around Thanksgiving and I hope everyone is safe and happy and healthy. Okay, just mostly healthy. What is happiness in the year 2020? I don't know, but my first guest is gonna help us find a little bit of it. She is the co-creator of The Daily Show, the founder of the reproductive rights action organization called Abortion AF. And she's got a new stand-up special. Uh, did I mention she was a comic? Uh, called Corona Borealis, that she filmed all in quarantine. Please welcome
1: Liz Winstead. Hey, what's going on, Liz? Just here with you, hanging out. You know, just doing it like everyone. You know, figuring out how to make isolation great again. Absolutely. Except um, Zoom
0: stand-up shows were was not good enough for you in the year 2020, and you decided to film a
1: special. I did. I did. Tell me about it. I'm somebody who responds to the world. You know, it's it's what I do, and I grew up in Minneapolis and I live in Brooklyn, both. And so being quarantined in New York City in the height of the pandemic, and then watching my city burn because of the murder of George Floyd, and just I mean, it wasn't even because of the murder of George Floyd. It was because of so much of police brutality and violence, and the latest was George Floyd. Yeah. Uh, And then this election we were having, um, I was like, I need to respond to this. And so I came back to Minnesota and I decided to do a show where it was shot in two parts. The first part was 20 people in kayaks in water and I'm on the shore of a lake. Um, Totally socially distanced, just a crew of 10 people. We all built the set We all designed the set, I made food for the audience, these special individual meals where I baked and cooked, Um, and then people got in these kayaks. And then I couldn't do a show about 2020 without having the election. So I um, had 18 people around six fire pits in a 19 degree evening (laughs) a week ago. (laughs) And I finished out my show in this wooded setting. Um, And sort of did this three quarter wrap up of the world and kind of examined COVID, what that felt like for me, what I was doing, sort of uh, systemic racism, my own, examining sort of my own white privilege and how I played a role in that. And then just breaking down the election and what it feels like to vote for somebody who is better than the person in office, but then Mm -hmm. realizing that now our work is to hold them accountable. And so right. I took it all together and I barfed it out in this <laughs> crazy DIY show. That's
0: incredible. And the images, I saw, I watched the trailer, it looks excellent. It's Liz, like she said, to a bunch of kayaks, giving jokes, saying jokes to a bunch of kayaks, and then also around a round of fire. So just so Minnesota, the most Minnesota I think uh, imaginable, and also apparently you offered free booze, which is how you lured everyone to That's your you show. how you lured Minnesotans
1: in for everything? And also the thing that was hilarious though, Franny, and you'll really appreciate this as a comic. You know when we when you're doing things like this. So we were outside the whole time to be distanced. There was never any going in. Everything yeah. was outside. Everybody was apart. We chucked people beers. From Chuck, sure, people, We had things set up. We actually had people bring care packages out to their vehicles, and then they came in with a bag of stuff. But here's what's nuts. So we had everything on generators, so you're panicking the whole time. So my whole thing that I focused mostly on was, let's make sure the lighting stays on, um, that we can see. What didn't occur to me was the entire time you're performing a show out in the woods, your natural sound is crickets. So if <laughs> your jokes don't land at all, you would literally, we had to edit out crickets because it sounded like a joke. <laughs> it was unbelievable. That's <laughs>
0: You're like, did we mic the crickets? Is that what happened? like
1: It was a cartoon.
0: It was like a cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, This is the thing that I think is so important. And and by the way, um, Liz's special is on Vimeo, 399, super accessible. And you can watch it um, uh, again, all about the election before and after. But it's so important because comics don't have shows and places um, to perform anymore. And so we're struggling and this is a great way to support obviously Liz's comedy, but also just the broader you know, stand-up realm beyond Netflix. Let's be real. Cause like, you know, uh, they get enough. They have enough money. It doesn't they know, have enough divide. money.
1: They have also, you know, comics comics go there and do their thing and they're in a big, you know, fancy schmancy thing with a whole bunch of audience. And so this is very, very intimate, very raw. I use notes, I stumble. Um, but it's also there's very, very twenty twenty specials. That can respond to the world so quickly yeah. and get up because, and that's why you—that's why you have to self-produce so that you don't have to deal with network notes. You know, I put it out there. I'll take it. I'm gonna get so many haters, and um, I'm fine with that. I'm good. I run an abortion rights organization. I already know what a hater feels like. <laughs> never, Liz Winstead, someone who has never been afraid of haters, Mm-mm. never
0: let them. Keep her work down, and part of that work obviously is continuing um, being at the helm of Abortion AF, which is, I think, in and of itself, such a groundbreaking organization because of the way that you tackle reproductive rights with a lot of levity and humor and and an honest um, personability, if I can even say that. Why do you feel like Abortion AF does that? Like, why why create a, a reproductive rights organization that like isn't afraid of Comedy and mocking the other side?
1: I think, you know, for me, the main thing is so, for the years that we've talked about abortion, we've talked about it using the narrative of anti abortion extremists and activists. And I believe that abortion is normal. I believe that abortion is a part of healthcare. And I don't believe abortion is any of the things they say it is. So, why can't I use humor? when it comes to making fun of the people who are hell bent on destroying bodily autonomy for people, just like any other orc who is out there, who is just living, feeding off misogyny like a host, Mm -hmm. they need to be taken down. And the best way I know how to take people down and to call out garbage is to do it through humor. Yeah, Uh, I believe you once said to me in an interview that it was
0: very difficult um, to mock Trump. I mean, it's easy to make fun of him, but but um, almost like not rewarding because he is a walking satire himself. And, you know, that like, look at him. Like, look, this is the entire administration. Now that he maybe will be gone soon, you know, still fingers crossed. Um, what are you looking forward to in a Biden administration and specifically from the right, from, you know, beyond comedy, but from reproductive rights? Um, What needs to be on the forefront, do you think, when it comes to reproductive justice
1: in in this Democratic administration? Uh, Well, I think that there's two things that need to happen. Uh, We need to raise the uh, Medicaid reimbursement rates so that we can end the Hyde Amendment. And that's gonna be the number one thing, so that poor people, people of color, people who need to access abortion care, um, and who don't have jillions of dollars or insurance or are using you know, Medicaid, can pay for their care. I think that's crucial because right now abortion is not a pocket expense. And a lot of people don't have that. And if you can't afford to terminate a pregnancy, um, makes it really hard to afford to raise, raise children, right? So yeah. those things are in, inextricably linked. Um, I think just having them talk about abortion and talk about reproductive justice. And also just saying to people, Let's start honoring all pregnancy outcomes, right? Yeah. If somebody is poor and is pregnant and wants to have a kid, we should have programs in place for them to be able to do that so that they can have a healthy family. And if somebody is poor and pregnant or not even poor, let's say poor out of it, just pregnant and says it is not within my capabilities to raise another child or have a child. Let's honor that, right? So I think honoring all pregnancy outcomes is a really good path and a really good thing that we should all be talking about.
0: It's always striking to me that people hate planned parenthood so much when the name is literally planned parenthood. Like but Politicians hate a plan. <laughs> right, exactly. For <laughs> the most part. Especially Republicans, no plan, just destruction. No, I, I love the way that you say that. like honoring all pregnancy outcomes. And just how much reproductive justice is about that, is about supporting parenthood. Um, if one wants
1: it and chooses it, uh, I guess- and to, and to create healthy environments to raise a kid, right? That right. means um, they should be able to walk down the street and not be harassed or killed by police. That means that they should be in a neighborhood where there is healthy food, healthy grocery stores. They are not living in an environmental. Uh, disaster of a neighborhood. they can, yeah. they can access um, you know drug stores and, and prescriptions and have diagnoses for all the things they need. Um, it's just large large, large justice for the greater environment for which we all live.
0: I want to ask you a question about healthcare. You know, obviously, reproductive rights are all integrally, and what you're talking about is integrally about healthcare. And yet, I think for so long, the fight for reproductive rights and the fight for sort of expanding healthcare have been siloed mm-hmm. in a in a way that maybe is not helpful going forward. Like link those two, and let's say if there was broad sweeping reform, there's a Medicare expansion, right? There is a Medicare for All potentially if we can push the Biden administration. Or a public option if he actually makes good on that. What does that then mean for something like reproductive justice?
1: Well, and that's what the real test is gonna be, is that so often we have had access to abortion and, and even access to birth control to a certain degree. You'll have to remember we had to fight really hard for birth, certain types of birth control to even be in the ACA, right? right. And and that wasn't from Republicans. That was anti-abortion Democrats fighting that. Right. So having a D next to your name doesn't mean that. But unless you say to someone, "We will provide health care for you for all of your health care needs," and you don't start siphoning off what that means, there is not one. There is not one piece of medical health care things that somebody doesn't have a uterus would need, that was taken out of, siloed off of, told it was a wedge issue because yeah. it doesn't exist. It's only things that happen to women and people with uteruses. And so we have to say, if you say you care for human rights and Medicare for all, that means all of the healthcare needs that people need. And part of that all should be abortion full stop.
0: Right. Absolutely, and that's why we have the the Hyde Amendment and that fight. Well, there's so much more to talk about, Liz. Your special Corona borealis is gonna help us through it. I know. I'm excited because it's gonna just. I feel like it's a bow on this. You know, this sh- crap year. What can't say what I want <laughs> to
1: say there. I know. But. I know. Crap year is the way to <laughs> say it. That's
0: the way to say it. The
1: crap year.
0: <laughs> Um, but please be so well. Have a good end of your year, and we'll talk very, very soon. I'm sure about you know the next chapter in this fight.
1: Oh, there's going to be many more things to talk about. <laughs> We've just gotten to the starting line. That's where we're at. Uh, no, no, I need a break. Okay, we
0: Instead, everybody, watch <laughs> her special on Vimeo, uh, Corona Borealis, and uh, follow Abortion AF for all their latest. Thank you so much. Thanks, Fran. Take care. Welcome back everyone to the conversation. I'm Francesca Fiorentini and super super excited to speak with our next guest. He's a former director of the Democratic Party of Georgia, a radio host of the Rashad Rashad Richie Morning Show. Let me just start that again.
2: (laughs) Great thing about non-live TV.
0: Love it, love (laughs)
2: it. I love all this.
0: (laughs) Okay. um, I'm gonna start whenever. Cool. Welcome back everyone to the conversation. I'm Francesca Fiorentini and so excited to speak with our next guest. Um, He is the former director of the Democratic Party of Georgia, a talk show host and and the host of the Rashad Richie Morning Show, editor at large of of Rolling Out Magazine and his name is Rashad Richie. Welcome. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Thanks for being here. Um, You are in Atlanta, am I correct about that?
2: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so I, I was born in a place called Albany, Georgia, but I've been in Atlanta since I was like ten years old. So I'm definitely an Atlantan.
0: Okay, good. That's that's all I need to know from this next series of questions. All about Georgia, the you know the 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 holdout of blue in a sea of southern red. This election, pretty much the story I would say of the 2020 election beyond coronavirus, etc., and Trump himself. Trump has just lost Georgia. For like the third time, after results have been yet again certified, showing that he did in fact lose that state. What are your thoughts? Just going through what what Georgia means for this the country and the fact that it did turn blue after so many
2: years. Yeah, not only did Trump lose Georgia, he lost Georgia basically for Leffler, Senator Leffler, and Senator Perdue. These were incumbent U.S. senators. You know how rare it is for an incumbent U.S. senator yes. to lose their state. So they're not um, defeated, but they're in a runoff. They could not get 50% plus one. They're both in a runoff. But here's what it means it means that for a Democrat running for president, number one, there's a new route to be president of the United States. Joe Biden has proven that uh, Georgia is in play. Georgia became a de facto battleground state, really, was Stacey Abrams before she ran and when she ran. Remember, Stacey Abrams' campaign meant that a black female in a southern state could damn near become governor. But she did engage in a lot of direct voter engagement before she did her historic run. She engaged through voter registration. And we see that those elements, grassroots campaigning, it works. It has always been the Democratic stronghold. They need to continue doing it.
0: And was that some of the strategy that you were trying to lead them to when you were <laughs> working with the Democratic Party in the state? and and? You know, I mean, I feel like this is the lesson we've all we've all learned from it, and yet Democrats often will be like, no, 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 we've got these other consultants,
2: and they're gonna tell us what to do. Meanwhile, the grassroots is like, no, 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 we know. Let me tell you something, I had a lot of frustration and a lot of joy being the director and chief strategist for the Georgia Democratic Party during the years I was there. But I would jokingly tell my friends, 50% of my time I'm fighting Republicans, the other 50% I'm fighting Democrats, right? So there was always this sentiment in the state that I disagreed with and I fought against the ideology. And it was that somehow a Democrat could only win the state of Georgia if they ran to the middle. Okay, Mm -hmm. Stacey Abrams proved that model to be wrong. Before Stacey Abrams ran for governor, we had a guy named Jason Carter. Jason Carter, state senator, lawyer, very charismatic young guy, remarkable individual. He's the grandson of President Jimmy Carter. He ran, he gets the nomination, he goes to the middle once he gets the nomination. Well, he got close, but Stacey Abrams got closer and she was a black female. She got closer because she actually excited the base, and she ran toward the progressive wing of the party rather than away from it.
0: I was there the night that she didn't concede, and rightfully so because of how much, you know, voter suppression there was, and and Kemp running running his own election, and the energy in that room. It was clear that even just a few short years later, that George something big was going to happen in Georgia. Now you got Republicans running scared, okay? Leffler and Purdue, like you said, they have to go to runoffs in January. What are your thoughts on the prospect of them winning that? What has to happen for or for them to lose
2: that, for Democrats to take those seats? Well, let me tell you this: these cats are imploding, Leffler and Purdue. Their first action was to call for the mandated resignation of the Secretary of State of Georgia, who's Raffensperger, he's the chief elections officer. They provided no proof, no evidence that some massive voter fraud took place, only the fact that they did not win. And and you have to imagine, well, are you telling him to resign because he didn't do something to make you win? Because obviously there was nothing else they could go on. But here's what's happening. In Georgia, there's a real opportunity here for them to win, for the Democrats to win both US Senate seats. Here's why. Purdue and Leffler, as a campaign strategy, decided not to run on policy. They decided not to run on accomplishment nor achievement in the U.S. Senate. They ran squarely on the fact that they voted 100% with Donald J. Trump. Mm-hmm. Donald J. Trump is a lame duck president. He's the lamest duck president we've ever had. <laughs> this guy is sitting in a room, locked in four uh, corners, basically tweeting to the rest of the world, and he's not even coming out to excite the base. Right. Who do we have here in Georgia a few days ago? Mike Pence. Nobody gives a damn about Mike Pence in the <laughs> Republican Party, but he's the guy they sent because Trump refuses to come out and stump for these individuals. As a matter of fact, during the last rally, Leffler and Purdue completely left Trump's name out of their speeches. Wow. 100%. That is going to severely weaken them weaken them in a runoff and we know runoffs are all about base turnout. Sure,
0: absolutely. And I think uh just building on what already happened for Democrats uh in this election will will could go a long way, right? In terms of riding them and seeing if you know, the entire Senate really, the entire country is staring at Georgia and waiting on bated breath to see what happens. But I want to turn to a Biden administration. And generally, your thoughts on particularly um, the idea that that they really have to go big. We're in the middle of a bunch of crises right now, and it seems like Democrats are starting to understand that they need to really deliver for the American people. Otherwise, we're gonna have another Trump, if not Trump himself, run in four years and potentially win again, right? Um, what are your thoughts on like that going big? And, and I guess specifically when it comes to something like criminal justice reform, racial justice and, and everything that 2020 has been about, which is you know demanding reigning in police somehow.
2: Yeah, they got to go big or go home. okay that's what has to happen now. I had the great opportunity to have Senator Cory Booker as my co-host on my radio show on election day. All right. So we're talking about what should happen, what may happen. But I made it very clear to Senator Booker, if you all get this opportunity, right, to where you have Joe Biden, you have Senator Harris, and you may actually be able to control the Senate, right? Yeah, If yeah. you get this opportunity, you have to take advantage of it immediately. You cannot wait for a consensus from Republicans or moderates. You have to do what you need to do within the first few days of that mandate. And if the Biden-Harris campaign learned anything, I hope they learned from the Obama era that you cannot simply wait and hope for good gestures to come from the Republicans and hope that somehow they start seeing things the way you see them. You have to get in and do it quickly. I'm looking at not only criminal justice reform, reimagined policing, as Mm -hmm. well as the conversation of reparations. Remember, Senator Harris is the co-sponsor to Senate Bill 1083, which is the mirror version of of House Resolution 40. That's your reparations study bill. Those things need to be on the table, higher education access. We have to do massive social reform as it relates to these items. And it has to be done, in my opinion, within the first year of this administration.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think that even just the we remember this is an exploratory discussion of reparations. It doesn't mean it's going to happen, but it is so important because we don't we don't even know our own history, right? Clearly, we don't know our history. We've got 71 million people still voting for a racist like Donald Trump. Um, where do you feel like Where do you feel like this energy goes from the Black Lives Matter movement, knowing? That it is going to be an uphill battle to actually get Republicans or Democrats to deliver. Um, you know, what are what are your thoughts on like the people who've been galvanized and who've been politicized by just this moment, um, who may be disillusioned going forward?
2: You know, Black Lives Matter should receive so much credit for saving this country. And here's why, they successfully did something that the media could not do. They successfully did something that Democrats could not do. And that was to polarize Trump as the man he actually is. They did what I call contrast politics. The media tried to do it. Democrats made a valid attempt, but they could not bring it home, they did. They created a contrast conversation as it relates to the president and the direction of this country. Here's what has to happen, and I've been protesting with Black Lives Matter for years. They have to now go from protest to policy. This has to be a policy discussion. And when I say policy discussion, we're not talking about a bullet point or an executive order. We're talking about sweeping legislation that's very difficult to erase from the history books. And that has to now become the focus.
0: Absolutely. We, <laughs> I talked about on on a podcast of mine. Quick plug for the Habituation Room. But you know, LBJ was not a non racist guy, and he signed the Civil Rights Act because yep. of the
2: amount of pressure they made him. <laughs> yes,
0: <laughs> yes. So even someone like Biden, who absolutely was definitely not progressives' first choice, can be pressured to do the right thing. Yes. Rashad Richie, any any final words of or thoughts after this election?
2: You know, for everyone, don't let up, even though there's a victory celebration across this country, more than 80 million people voted for the Biden-Harris ticket, we still have to hold the powerful accountable.
0: Absolutely, Rashad, thank you so much for joining us. Make sure everyone to listen to his show, the Rashad Ritchie Morning Show, and also check out Rolling Out Magazine. And of course, he's been on The Damage Report, such a friend of, the, of, of TYT. Thank you so yes, much.
2: Thank you.